Good morning, good morning. Great to meet you all. So today we are reading from Luke 2, 36 through 40. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Samuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when she had been married over 77 or seven years. Oh, well, I'm so sorry. I totally messed that up already. Ah! Um, she um, she um, had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow in, to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and praying. She came along as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph as they began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When the parents had fulfilled the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. Thank you, Denise. Thank you so much. Yes, I am looking forward to this passage as we talk about it a little bit more today because we're still in this Thrill of Hope series. And uh, this woman, Anna, is in full pursuit of hope. She is in full pursuit of hope in God, that hope can only come from God, that she's waiting for this Messiah. And it's a, it's a great little story in and of itself, but I feel like we have to ask ourselves, why in the world is this story even in the Bible? Okay, because you think about just all the things that could be included. We, we know when we started this series in Luke, it was back in kind of like mid, late November, or something like that. We started looking into the book of Luke and we saw how it says at the very beginning that he carefully investigated all the stories about Jesus and then compiled them together to show his, this person, this friend of his, Theophilus, why Jesus is the Messiah. And then you have this, this story of this very old woman who just comes and praises God and tells everybody about him. And that's in there. Now, Luke doesn't tell us, which would be even in this kind of same little part of the Bible, Luke doesn't write about the Magi. He doesn't write about how they had to flee, um, to flee this area of Bethlehem to go, into, uh, to go to Egypt because Herod was killing all the babies. He doesn't include that stuff. That's in the Gospel of Matthew, right? And so what in the world, like what's going on? Why does he choose to include this story? I think that's kind of interesting. We, you see at the, the end of that passage that we just heard from where it says that they, they left and they went to Nazareth and they kind of continued and Jesus began to grow up and he grew uh, in, in his wisdom and he had favor upon him from God. We'll hear even more a little bit about sort of the youth uh, of Jesus next week with that cool passage where he goes to the temple when he's 12 years old. But that's like all it gives us here, right? It's all like it goes from his, it's eight days old and then, then we just like move on to when he's 12 and then we move on to when he's about 30 uh, in, in the gospel of Luke. And it's kind of interesting because I think part of what we have to remind ourselves of why does this story even exist is to remind ourselves even that we are still in Luke 2. 
right? We are still in what we think of Luke 2. Luke 2, 1 through 20 is just the classic Christmas story in the days of Caesar Augustus and Jesus is born and placed in a manger and the shepherds come and all of that is just like right before this story. If, we, if we're going with December 25th as the day Jesus is born, this is happening on January 2nd. Okay, so they haven't even taken their Christmas lights down yet. Um, it's, not, uh, it's not even the 12th day of Christmas yet, right? Like you start, you're still in the middle of it all. And that's, you're still in the heart of the story. It's eight days later. It's eight days after his birth. Um, and so what I think, what I just want to like show us before we even get into some of the heart of Anna and who she is and I think why she's such a, just a great example for us is um, because of how um, this, like this picture that Luke is trying to paint, all right? Now, he sort of sketched out a beginning of this picture in the beginning of Luke 2, in the days of Caesar Augustus. He's trying to show you, it's very intentional by him, there is a difference between Caesar, who says he is God, the Son of God, who says that there is good news about him that will bring peace to the whole world. So this Caesar, that all this is, is being said about, kind of about himself, and is being said about him by some others as well, that Jesus has now come onto the scene, and Luke wants you to know that he is the true king and the one that will bring actual redemption and rescue and consolation for the people of Jerusalem, the people of Israel, and then all humankind, that he is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And so then you take this sketch and you start to uh, fill in the color of it a little bit, right? To paint some color. And the way he does that is very interesting, that he starts with shepherds, these are the first ones that come to visit Jesus. These young, unimportant, sort of low of the lowest of society kind of people, likely boys and girls, come and visit Jesus. Then you've got this guy, Simeon, who is an old man of the city that's kind of just like walking around. And then all of a sudden it says the Holy Spirit led him to the temple. And he comes in, just led by the Holy Spirit to come in the temple, sees the baby, and it kind of just like the next phrase is like, he picks up the baby and starts praising Jesus. I wonder if Mary and Joseph were like, whoa, dude, like, easy. Like, I don't know how he got his hands on him. I don't know what that exchange was like. But you've got this, this older man of the city that's like, ah, I can finally die because I've seen the one we've been waiting for. And then we come here to this very old woman. Right? It says. That's the word of the text. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit uh, more about that in a minute. But what I love is that you see Luke showing you all these different people. All these different people that are the first ones to see Jesus. Young and old. Like common, uh, sort of maybe even not religious, I don't know, pious, saints, people like Anna who are just hyper, super dedicated, committed to God. And then, and just all of these different people and a lot of unexpected people. You don't see pictures of like, uh, like here in what Luke's trying to do. I think even maybe why he doesn't talk about the Magi. He's like trying to show you this contrast away from, it's not about like royalty or these like wise men that come and see him. You don't see all these important people coming necessarily. It's just the people of the city, the people of the field, simple people coming to see Jesus in contrast to the way that Caesar would talk about himself. 
But now we get to this amazing woman who has a life in full pursuit of God. That's how I want us to think about her, just a life in full pursuit of God. She's in, it says she's been waiting along with these other people, waiting for the rescue of Jerusalem. It's an expression, that rescue of Jerusalem, an expression of waiting for the Messiah to come. The one that will come and change everything. Like last week, they've talked about the consolation of Israel. This peace they've been hoping and longing for and waiting for. That is what is finally beginning to arrive. And this woman is, has been waiting for that. She's been in full pursuit of that. And I think about, like, okay, full pursuit. And I just thought of, like, titling that this today because of how, like, this woman is dedicated and how much she does. But I think about... Like if we have a life in full pursuit of God, in full pursuit of the hope that we have in God. And like often when I, I think of pursuit, I kind of think of like running a race. Like I ran cross country for a couple years in high school. I wasn't very good at it. But occasionally I got to have the opportunity where at the end of a race, you know, you're kind of like, you're kind of managing your, your energy and stuff over the course of three miles. And I remember at my high school, the way our cross country course would be, you kind of ran all around through actually like our school itself. And we had like a hill there and everything. I went to St. Clemente High School. And then the last uh, quarter mile, you come onto the track. And, and then remember that part, when you get into the track, you're like looking for people that you can take, you know, that you can go and pass in that last bit of the race. That's like the best feeling, at least to me, you know, when you get to finally like, like take out a couple people on the way, even though it was like to finish, you know, 14th instead of 17th or whatever. But it was like, <laughs> but that part of it felt good. And that's like when you're, you're in this full, pursuit at that moment. You've been managing it, but now you're just going all out, all of your energy, because you know you're at the end. You can just give it all you have, just a full pursuit of that moment. It was even like, uh, I remember when I went, um, when I was in college and I went to the library at Biola and I saw this girl uh, across the table from me that was friends with uh, some other friends of mine. And from that moment on, it was full pursuit. Uh, her name was B, and she's now my wife. But I do remember it was like the next week I was like at the library at the same time because I'm like, I need to see if that girl is here again. And uh, then nine months later, we were engaged. And nine months later after that, we were married. And so it was just like, let's go. Okay, full pursuit. And uh, just that kind of thing. So if you think in your, your mind when you've been in full pursuit of something, whether that's been a career endeavor or something like with the person that you've met that's the love of your life, I don't know. But when we are in full pursuit, our, all, of our, all of our like being is, is going in that direction, right? We are fully committed, fully dedicated. And that's who this woman, Anna, really is. Let's uh, just remind ourselves of what that first couple verses of this passage that we have for today is. It says, Anna, a prophet was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. <laughs> it's just funny. I'm sorry. Uh, it's just like very direct. Her husband died when they'd been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. Let me just pause there for a second, okay? Because I just want to tell you a little bit about this aspect of her. Some translations, like, and there's even like an asterisk in my Bible, it has a little note. Because some people translate this, she was a widow till the age of 84. And then some take it as she was a widow for 84 years. There's kind of like with the language, it's kind of hard to tell which it was saying, right? Uh, in that Greek. Now, 
if, let's say she got, like often people get married at uh, young women around the age of 14, says she was married seven years, uh, then her husband dies, so her husband dies when she's 21, then she lives, if she lived for 84 years as a widow, it would be till she was 105 years old. She's 105 then in this story, or she's just 84, okay? So uh, <laughs> either way, she's been a widow for a long time, something like 60-something years or 80-something years. She has been a widow, and she is um, this old woman who, which is, like, I, I think we need to like stop and kind of think about like how Luke highlights and values women, kind of uniquely in the way in this gospel of Luke. It's obviously in, in a lot of ways throughout the text. And Luke, um, Luke is, remember, this is the inspired word of God. He highlights a lot of different women. Obviously Mary, he's already been talking a lot about Mary, mother of Jesus, Elizabeth. Now we get to hear to Anna. In Luke 8, he talks about these it's a group of women that financially support and backed this whole thing of the, Jesus and the disciples traveling around for a few years. It was this group of women that financially backed this whole project. Uh, then, and one of those is Mary Magdalene. There's a lot, uh, a lot in there with her. The Mary and Martha story. There's these couple stories of older women that, that Luke does too to highlight and value older women. Now, uh, one is the story of a persistent widow, oh, uh, this woman that is so persistent that Jesus uses her as this example to say, this is how you should pray. You should pray like her because she's just so persistent, knocking, 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 knocking on the door, right, until someone finally comes. And uh, you should be like that. Then there's the widow's might story is also in Luke, where this um, old woman widow is in the temple and gives all her last, her last couple coins. She gives all that she has and is this example. I think about this woman, Anna, and how it says she's in the temple day and night. It'd be cool if that story was, was her, right, that she was the one. There's nothing in there that says it's her. But I just kind of think that would be cool if that, uh, if that was the case. Um, Luke highlighting, valuing um, different women. Um, even the, it, says, it says it was this group of several women that see Jesus after the resurrection, and they have to go and convince the men that it actually happened, right? They have to go and tell the men that it happened. Um, and so it's just uh, interesting to see in the way that he values and highlights the role of these women, especially an older woman, maybe not a lot of value in that society. However, this woman, Anna, is a prophet, it says. Now, okay, what's the deal? I just feel like we have to pause and just kind of like understand a little bit about prophets and like female prophets, that there are like, a bunch of different examples of uh, women prophets in the Bible. Now, there's a ton more examples of male prophets as well. Um, but what we see is there's a few that, uh, just to show you, Miriam, the sister of Moses back in the book of Exodus, it says Miriam, a prophet. And then it goes on to like sing this, like show this song that she wrote after the people are uh, rescued from the Egyptians. Then it goes, then we see Deborah in the book of Judges. Deborah is both a prophet and a judge. So she's kind of like both a spiritual leader and a civic leader for the people of Israel. Uh, then you get to a woman named Huldah. All right. I don't know if, has, is everybody naming their kids Huldah these days? It could be like the new trendy thing. Um, but Huldah was a prophet. I just want to read a little bit. You can just listen if you'd like, um, or you can turn to 2 Kings 
22, verse 14. I think this will give you a sense of like what is even a prophet in general, not just like women prophets, but this is stuff that prophets do, okay? So 2 Kings 22, verse 14 says, So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asiah went to the new quarter of Jerusalem to consult with the prophet Huldah. She was the wife of Shalom. Okay, so these four or five dudes, I think, you know, by those names, go, uh, <laughs> go to meet with Huldah, this prophet, uh, and to, to talk to her and to consult with her. Verse 15 says, She said to them, The Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Go back and tell the man who sent you, This is what the Lord says. All right, so that's kind of like, We'll continue a little bit, but that's what a prophet does, okay? A prophet says, this is what the Lord says. Thus saith the Lord. I have a message from God for you. That's the role of a prophet. That was the role of this woman prophet, Huldah, here in 2 Kings. And the, the message isn't great. Okay, verse 16. This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this city. And it goes on to explain that disaster. Then 18, it says... But go to the king of Judah who sent you to seek the Lord and tell him this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the message you've just heard. You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said. And then he, she kind of goes on to say, so I'm not going to wipe you out now. It's going to happen later, basically. Okay, But um, that's what... Uh, a prophet does. A prophet brings the word from God, and often it's to the people, it's often to the leaders of the people. So you see these, this priest and these other leaders come on behalf of the king to this woman, Huldah, like, what are we supposed to do? What's going to happen? What is God saying? She tells them what God is saying. All right, so that's the role of a prophet. Now, um, we also see some like women prophets in the New Testament even, just to show you that that's there. In the book of Acts, Acts 21, it talks about the daughters of Philip were prophetesses. That's such a great word, prophetess. Uh, but uh, these, these women were, uh, were prophets. You even see Paul give, us, give instructions for how women should prophesy when they prophesy. There's instructions on that in the scriptures. So I just wanted to kind of like, if you give you a little bit of like some just good Bible understanding and knowledge about what's going on there with this, this, this very old woman who's a prophet. Now, the, the coolest part, though, of this story is the, the next verse that we hadn't quite read yet, that I, I hadn't quite read yet, but it says in 37, she never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. So talk about full pursuit. She never left the temple. She just worshiped God day and night with fasting and prayer. Now, uh, like scholars kind of think like she didn't actually live there, but she just was there all day, all into the evening, went home to sleep, came back. Next day, she's there again, just staying there. Every day, she's coming back. I just want to worship God, fasting, prayer. Her whole life is described as fasting and prayer. 
that's full pursuit. I mean, fasting is one of like sort of the hardest spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines to me, like in the, that, that we are like called to do, like things that we could be challenged to do for God. She is constantly doing that so much that this is how she's described. She's in full pursuit of God with her life. She's been living a life for 60 to 80 something years of doing that, coming to the temple every day, worshiping, fasting, praying. That's wild, right? I mean, when you really stop and think about that, that was what her life was about. And so I think for me, like, what is like full, what is full pursuit of Jesus look like, you know, for me, for you? Um, maybe you're not going, you know, like we don't get a lot of people showing up here every day fasting and praying, you know, or whatever. <laughs> uh, nor do I think that's necessarily what God is calling you to do. Um, but for me, like full submission to God looks like, or full pursuit of God looks like fully submitting to the word of God for everything in my life. That I, I believe that before God, I say, Lord, I will submit to what you have said in your word and I will live my life in that way, no matter what I think, no matter what my opinion is, no matter what I might, in some way I might think differently or be tempted to think differently or want to do something differently, this is what I will do with my life. I've committed my life to be fully submitted to the Word of God. I think that is a life that is in full pursuit of Him. It doesn't mean I'm always pulling that off perfectly, right? Uh, but that means that's what I want my life to be about. That is what I am in full pursuit of and what I have committed to be. It also means I'm in full response to his calling in my life. For me, not, not for you, for me, when I was in uh, a freshman in college, that was a radical call from God that as a I feel as a supernatural word from the Lord that I was to work in church ministry for the rest of my life. Like that is what I was called to do. And so it was just like, okay, Lord, I'm in. Like that was the next, the next thing. And so just like a couple months later, I'm, I'm an intern in a church and I've worked in church ministry since. That's what it's looked like for me. It's just what is my next yes to God in response to his lead in my life? What is my next step of yes? It's just always going to be that I step into that. For you, that's not going to be church ministry likely. And for you, that's going to be, though, still, what's my next yes to God, right? How is God leading my life? I've committed to be full submission to his word, but also in full submission to his, his leading and calling in my life. Another step of yes. I've got friends who have said that, you know, hey, I'm just going to take all my what I love, what I enjoy, what I'm good at, and I'm going to do that for God and not just for money. It might still be for money, but I'm going to also, I'm going to do this for the Lord. I'm going to see how I can use the gifts that God has given me to leverage that for his kingdom, right? And then, so I'm, I'm going to be in full pursuit of that in some way. Uh, and and that's, that's awesome, right? That's kind of what we should be. I want you to think about for you, what does a life in full pursuit of Jesus look like for you specifically. Now, it doesn't mean, and I do this perfectly, okay, but what is like the ideal of what should it be? What do you think that could or should look like for you in your life? Can we just take like two minutes with somebody around you and just try and talk about what you think and hope that could be? Because I think we can sharpen each other a little bit. So go for it. Take two minutes with somebody near you. You might have to turn around, whatever. If you don't want to totally do it, it's also fine. But just like turn it and talk to somebody about that for two minutes to this question.
Okay, like 30 more seconds. Can you hear me? If you haven't introduced yourself to those people next to you, that might be a good step too if you forgot that part. <laughs> All right, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. I just want to like take some like times here and there where we can just be like, okay, how do we process this? Because we learn from each other. We help like that's part of even what it means to be making disciples, right? We're like sharpening one another. We're growing. What does that look like to be growing in our faith? We grow through one another, helping one another. Um, so like, let's see how we can live that kind of life in full, full pursuit of God. What is like one step closer to a life like that look like for you? And take a step in that direction. Anna had been preparing herself for this moment we get to today by a life of pursuing Jesus in fasting and prayer and worship. She'd been waiting for this Messiah who is Jesus. And now she comes to this moment that we get to in verse 38. In verse 38 says, she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph and she began praising God. So you think back to last week, there's this whole part where Simeon comes in, he's led by the Holy Spirit, he grabs the baby, picks it up, and starts saying this whole thing about sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. I've seen your salvation. I've seen your salvation, Simeon says. And Anna's just kind of doing her thing, walking along, right? I'm like, she's kind of hungry probably. She hasn't been eating for a while and she's praying. And then she walks and she's like, oh, Messiah, it's him, right? Just like in the middle of this moment, she walks up and sees Simeon holding the baby Jesus up and saying these words. And she just began praising God. She's praising God. It says she talked about the child to everyone, to everyone who'd been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So she has this life that she had been in preparation, and now she's just in this passionate response to Jesus. And so what she does, she sees Jesus, and she just starts praising. And that, that Greek word there for praise is also to give thanks. Giving thanks and praising God that she is seeing the one, the Messiah. And we know that she knows it because she starts telling everybody about him, that this is the one who has come to rescue Jerusalem to be that Messiah, the one they've been waiting for forever. And so she just starts telling everyone. She's been waiting expectantly. They've been waiting expectantly. And now she sees him and just like, yes, he's here. And she starts telling everyone about him. Interestingly, I think this is very similar to the response of the shepherds. The shepherds come, they see Jesus, they give thanks to God, and then they go out just as they go out telling everyone what they had seen. I wish, like, I can't wait to find out more. We just don't know. They don't fill in these blanks in the Bible. But what were people actually thinking about this baby? It's like, interesting because then he does flee to Egypt. I wonder if then he was sort of like off the scene and they didn't know what was going on. And then he's just kind of growing up normal in Nazareth. And they're like, what, what happened to what these people thought about that baby, right? I don't know what happened in that sort of connection time there. But Ah, just so radical to think of this beautiful response of just worship and praise. And similarly, what the shepherds brought this like affirmation and confirmation to Mary and Joseph and to us that this was the Messiah. Because the angel said, this, you know, go and see 
Go and see the one that has come to save all of his people from their sins. Go see him. They see him and they confirm this. And then now Simeon, just eight days later, is like, give me the baby. Let's praise him, right? Yeah, he's the one that brings salvation. And then Anna is like, yes, it is. Let's praise God and tell everyone about him that this is the Messiah. Jesus is the one that has come to save his people from their sins. And not just the people of Israel, but you. You in this room today. That that baby born, that baby being dedicated in the temple by faithful parents, that baby is the one that has come to save you. That's the one that will live a perfect life unblemished, no sin in his life, and that he then is worthy and then was willing to go upon the cross to take the sins of the world, to take the, the penalty and the price and the cost of all of that sin upon himself. And he paid it and he bore it so that you don't have to pay it and you don't have to bear it. He bore it for you. And so we celebrate, we praise that baby because that baby did not just stay a baby and that man did not stay dead on that cross. He came back to life again on the third day. And he defeated death and victory over sin. And all of that, we join in with him in that victory. And I just even invite you, if you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus for that forgiveness of sin. You have sinned. We have all sinned. We have gone against the ways of God that he has outlined for us in the scriptures. And we have missed the mark of what God has placed before us, and that is sin. And the penalty of that sin is death and hell. And he says, I have come to pay that for you, that you can have an eternity with me forever but also you have a life with me in the here and now. That we have heaven on earth here and now with Jesus with us in all of the hard things of this sinful world that we still live in. And so I'd ask you to consider if you need to, to pray to God today, just to ask him for forgiveness and say, I believe that you are God, Lord. And you can do that. You can do that right now. And I encourage you to, if you pray that today, to just tell someone. Tell someone in your life. Tell one of us. We'd love to talk to you about that and help you because it's, it's not a thing to be done alone. This Christian life is not a life to be lived on our own or in rows like this. We need to live it face to face, right, with, with one another. And so I encourage you in that. Um, let me just guide you through that. I'm gonna, I'll say some other concluding words, but let me just guide you through a prayer like that. Pray this. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again on the third day. And I know that I've sinned and I need you in your grace and love to forgive me. Would you please help me? Please forgive me, Lord. Please lead me each step of my life now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so for us today then to respond to this, what I want to encourage you is, is this woman, Anna, she prepared to live this life like in full pursuit of God, right? Every, every moment of her life was about full pursuit of God. And then she sees Jesus and it's just like, boom, praise, praise and thanks and love and sharing that message with everyone. 
You even think about things like the Alpha Course. This is a great opportunity just to go out and share with everyone you know and like bring them to that and help them know Jesus. Uh, or if it's just in whatever more like other way that you would want to do that, that's wonderful as God leads you. But let's praise God now as if it's the first time we've seen Jesus, like this woman, Anna. Okay, so we're going to sing, we're going to worship. We're going to sing this song, All Hail King Jesus. I mean, that is like the ultimate, I think, just all hail King Jesus. As we sing, we worship, praise God today as if it's the first time you've seen him. Would you pray with me again? Lord God, I pray that each one of us, as we have experienced your love and your grace, we've experienced the peace that you bring to the whole world, we experience it in our own lives. I pray, Lord, that we would worship you, Lord, like this incredible old woman, Anna, such an example to us of a life fully, fully in pursuit of you. And may our hearts be in full pursuit of you every single moment of our lives and show us how to do that in the way that you have called us. But now, Lord, we we give you worship, we give you praise, for you are God and you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.